Okay, so when Jared uh, announced that he was going to be, or that we were going to be teaching through Psalm 119, I thought, wow, um, we're going to sink underneath a mountain because this is literally the longest psalm. And I was very relieved when we met together to talk that we were not going to go through it verse by verse. So we can all breathe a little bit. Um, if you guys were here a few months ago, uh, we had one teacher from EBC named Josh Grumman, and he did a little bit of an overview of the Proverbs, and he just kind of went through a couple of the Proverbs. Uh, tonight, I'm not going to necessarily be digging into the text of Psalm 119. I'm going to be doing three things. So first, I'm thankfully going to be giving an overview of the Psalms, so I'm just going to give you some <coughs> overarching structure. Uh, who the Psalms were written by, what the Psalms are about, kind of like what Josh had done with the Proverbs. Second, I'm going to uh, provide you guys with some of the intro or the background information on Psalm 119, kind of review some of the themes and, and just kind of prime you for what to expect in the next few weeks. And then lastly, like Jared mentioned, I'm gonna show you, or I'm gonna attempt to instruct you guys on what it means to pray through the Psalms. Uh, I think probably we've all heard, or most of us at least have heard, yeah, let's, let's pray through some scripture together, let's pray through the Psalms together, and yet, I don't know if you guys have ever received instruction about it, I never have, so this was actually really, really great for me too, so I hope that that, that part of the night will be really, really uh, new and, and beneficial for you. So, let's begin with the Psalms. First of all... We are very, very artsy in this church. Mm -hmm. We are like the hippest, coolest, our most artistic church mm -hmm. that I've <laughs> ever seen. Yeah. I'm not yeah. bragging about our church, but God, you made this church pretty cool. Um, <laughs> if there's any book of the Bible that our church should be getting excited about, mm -hmm. it's the book of the Psalms. Uh, the Psalms are uh, they're, uh, a compilation of a lot of different poems, essentially and poems that were originally sung. So the, the Greek word for psalm is psalmos, which actually there implies a uh, plucking of strings. Uh, the Hebrew word for it is telahim, which means to make a jubilant noise, or praises, or we could say book of praises. And uh, in Israel's context, this was their psalm book. So they, they would it's difficult because we don't, it's not like we have musical scales to go back and define, and so we can't necessarily recreate the way that, the exact ways that they would sing it. But we do know that it was accompanied by things like a harp or a lyre. So, you know, if Jared just so happened to have a harp lying around and on a fellowship Sunday he wanted to play the harp and we would sing a song to it, that would be kind of cool. I'm not suggesting that, Jared, but maybe just a thought. Um, you buy the harp. Mm -hmm. It's like probably five thousand dollars. Stewardship, stewardship. Uh, we're just trying to be biblical. So, uh, I mean, we know we. So we know that from uh, there are s several songs that talk about using the harp of the lyre. We know that David played the harp um, when he was in Saul, serving in Saul's court. So these songs are meant to be sung, and they're meant to be sung as a form of praise to God, right? The Psalms have uh, probably, what makes the Psalms so unique is their authorship, because the Psalms have such a diverse range of authors, 
ranging all the way from Moses, who uh, wrote Psalm 90 back in the wilderness when Israel was wandering around there, all the way up to after the people of Israel had come back from captivity in Babylon. Um, so it's a thousand year range, so it is an incredible uh, feat to have collected all of these psalms and to assemble them together in one book. Um, there are, and I didn't, before seminary, I didn't know any of this stuff, so it was a complete shocker to me, but there are actually five different books in the psalms, and I'm going to just very briefly go through how you can outline these five different psalms. Okay? Uh, there are many different ways that people have structured the Psalms in the past. This is just one way, but I think it, it really does make a lot of sense. Uh, one of the ways in the past has been, people would say, the first book of the Psalms, Psalms 1 through 41, talk about Genesis, right? Uh, the next set, Exodus. The next set, Leviticus. And pretty much the five books refer to the five first books, the Pentateuch. That's a historical view that people have held. Uh, the view that I'm holding to is a little bit more of like the Psalms follow a redemptive plan. Mm -hmm. So book one, Psalms 1 through 41, is about the confrontation. So if you look at the Psalms and you were to look at who wrote all these Psalms in this section, it's mostly going to be David. Half of the Psalms are written by David. And these Psalms tell of a time when David was experiencing deep trial and persecution and he's in con confrontation essentially with those who are opposing his reign, such as Saul and some of the other enemies in, in that region. The second book is what I'll call communication. So these are verse, uh, sorry, Psalms 42 through 72. And this is speaking about the time when David has uh, been enthroned as king and he's now essentially taking all of the land that God had prescribed all of uh, Israel to take, and he's communicating his, his Davidic reign over this land that God has, has ordained to, to him in the covenant. The third book, verses 73 through 89, speak to devastation. Unfortunately, the themes in this book you'll see uh, refer to they, they have a sense of destruction, and it refers to really Israel being exiled to Babylon, Israel being deported uh, because of their breaking of the covenant. Uh, the fourth book is verses 90 through 106. This speaks of maturation. This speaks of the time coming back into the land uh, after the exile, and sort of a new maturing perspective of the people. So the Psalms are more about, yes, uh, this, this, I, I sinned, I did, but God is still good, God is still faithful, even, even though I broke the covenant. Right? And then the last book we'll call Consummation, verses 107 to 150. And if you know anything about the end of the book of Psalms, it ends with about five Psalms that sing praise to God over and over and over and over. It's like, a, it's like the grand finale of 4th mm -hmm. of July, but with hallelujahs, right? Uh, each, of these, each of these books, so the five, end with a, what we call a doxology or a praise to God, and then an amen, amen. Um, it's, that's, anyway, that's just, that's a, a literal feature. 
what I, the way I like to think about these songs is kind of like entering a house, right? So we've got the first room that we enter, and then we have another room that we enter, and then another room, and we have five rooms that we enter. And as we enter, there are actually three sets of two pillars that move throughout the Psalms with us. The first set are Psalm 1 and 2, and Psalm 1 refers to God's word, Psalm 2 refers to the Messiah, the second set are Psalm 18 and 19, Psalm 18 refers to the Messiah, Psalm 19 refers to God's word, and then the last set are Psalm 118 and Psalm 119. 118 referring to the Messiah and 119 referring to God's word. And I like to think about those pillars, I'll, I'll come back to that, but I like to think about those pillars as kind of like being the beams that hold up the house of the Psalms. Mm-hmm. As you go through, you can, you can look around and recognize there's all these different things happening in David's life or in the, the other psalmist's lives, but then you have these key Psalms that appear and they're coupled together like that. Um, just incredible whoever structured these Psalms. Um, just, uh, yeah, just incredible. So um, let's move on from there. As you guys have read the Psalms, I'm sure that you've realized there's, there are actually different kinds of Psalms. I'm just going to mention eight of them, and, and there's more, and you can split these up in all these different ways. Um, but I'll mention the first eight of them. So the first one we have are things like lament Psalms. Uh, how many people have felt like when you're praising God, all you're doing is lamenting? <laughs> Well, you're not alone, because the Lament Psalms comprise of more than 60 of the Psalms. Out of the 150, 60 of them are Lament Psalms, right? Um, It's a little bit comforting that these are here, because these Lament Psalms are like crying out to God when we're in deep distress or or when we're in the midst of a deep struggle. Uh, The second type are Thanksgiving Psalms, talking about Thanksgiving for for times when God has answered our prayers, things where we've been delivered from certain struggles that we've been struggling through. The third are praise songs, psalms. Uh, They are essentially just praising and glorifying God. They're expressing adoration for him and the things he's done. Uh, The fourth one are didactic, which is a fancy word for just like instruction. So sometimes these psalms are actually teaching and offering some wise counsel, some wise advice or instruction about life. The fifth is kingship. You're going to get this mostly, uh, especially especially in the beginning, referring to David, where the psalm is speaking about uh, king, either King David, King Yahweh, or pointing to King Jesus. So like the pillars that I was talking about. So like Psalm 1, Psalm 18, Psalm 118. Uh, The sixth one is, I know, a favorite. It's called the Imprecatory Psalm, which is... uh, Can you spell that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I... I-M-P-R-E-C-A-T-O-R-Y. Imprecatory. 
And I will not use an, an example, Mary Beth. Uh, these are our favorite because essentially in these psalms, the psalmist is essentially just kind of cursing his enemies and expressing his wrath and anger and really just praying for God's judgment against that person. So um, we'll talk a little bit more about that, especially when we get to praying through the psalms. I'm sure you can imagine that that might be a little difficult. Um, the next one is, yeah, Fongo, I guess not for you. See me afterward. <laughs> so uh, the, the next one is a trust psalm. So just expressing a, a trust in God, even in the midst of a, an extreme difficulty. And then the last one. What was that? What was the next after imprecatory? Uh, trust. Uh, trust. Trust, yeah. And then the last one is called an acrostic. And I can spell that, okay. A C R O. S T I C. <laughs> no, that's. What are those? And hopefully, hopefully that's the end of the list, guys. I know I've been I've been listing off a lot of things. What are acrostic psalms? So acrostic psalms are <laughs> psalms which the author or the I guess the poet crafted in such a way that every letter of the alphabet is used in some way. So if you have, say, 22 verses in a psalm, the first verse would start with Aleph, the A in the Hebrew alphabet, and then it would go on, so on and so forth, faith, etc. So those are, those are pretty incredible. Um, and we'll, we'll be talking a lot more about that in a minute. Can anybody guess what kind of Psalm 119 is? A cross. Hmm. Take it to it. I think it has everything. You think so it has it's, everything? Yeah, I think it's a mixture of everything. Yeah. I think I think I, I think you're all right. Uh, and and I think that is very insightful too. The the psalm is in a, it's shaped and formatted in the form of an acrostic psalm. But it does include so many different elements of, of all of the, these different types that I've listed. And it's also what I would, I would probably factor into that I didn't include in this list. It's a, it's a part of wisdom literature, right? So it would kind of also fit into the category of what the, the book of Proverbs would be like, right? Um, so let's talk, about, let's talk about Psalm 119. So I'm just going to go over some of the some of this introductory stuff. Uh, the author, we don't know who it is, but whoever it is, they're a master poet. Uh, the positioning of it in the in the book of Psalms, in the among the five books, being at the end, makes it lo most likely being that it was a book that was written post-exile, which, as we go through the Psalms over the course of the next few weeks, and hopefully as you're reading it, you'll see there is, a, there is a lot of crying out in the psalm. There is a lot of struggling that the psalmist is experiencing. And I think that the post-exilic setting really makes sense given that, because they're trying to reestablish Jerusalem. There's enemies outside the gate. There's enemies, I'd say, inside the gate. And whoever is writing this is probably trying to do their best to live a life to worship God, but there are seem to be extreme and direct attacks on that, on that person's life. So I think it fits. 
So the literary outline, like I said, it's an acrostic psalm. And before I go over some of the details of the psalm, I just want to ask how many people are songwriters or poets? Okay. So y'all who raised your hand, especially you, Pongo, because I know you're writing so many songs. Hopefully we'll appreciate this. The psalm is 176 verses long. And that's longer than most books in the Bible. So that psalm alone has more verses than most books in the Bible. It has what we call 22 stanzas. And in, in every stanza, it has eight verses each. Right? So think about it like this. Huh. Olive. One stanza, eight verses, all starting with Olive. Faith. One stanza, eight verses, starting with Faith. And just keeps going down like that. All the way to the very end, into the last letter of the alphabet. As you guys can imagine, um, when you, I was talking to Jared about this, when you put constraints on art, it kind of limits what you're, a what you're able to express. So if I were to make a, a psalm like this, I think at Z, I would be a little bit stuck. <laughs> like, I mean, really at Q, like what would I say? Like, quixotic or like eight times? Or by the time I'm done with Z, you guys would be like, all right, I'm done hearing about the zoos and zebras. <laughs> You're right? Like, I don't even know what I would have to say about that. But you can really begin to appreciate this when you see, as you read through it, how, how the psalmist is able to interweave still that central theme of the love of the Word of God, even with some very difficult letters to work with. Uh, because of this... A lot of people have said that the psalm really, aside from the stanzas and stuff, doesn't really have a, a, like a developmental structure. And in some ways, when you're reading it, it can feel like that. It can just feel like, man, this guy, he's talking about different things in all these different places, and it seems just kind of like a scattering of all this stuff. And it doesn't feel like there's any big structure or anything like that. And that's kind of true. But I would say that because of the language, each stanza kind of has its own theme. Each stanza kind of has its own flavor. And I would submit that if you were to read through Psalm 118 or 19 and you were to really read it slowly, like you were to really sit down with it, kind of like the Proverbs, and just read through it. And even though you would hear, oh, I think I've heard this before, I think if you were to really read it very closely, you would see there is so much variation in what the psalmist is saying. It's it's like it's like the most minute strokes of a paintbrush with a very very different hue, but the same color. Uh, I think, and I hope that 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 will be an exercise that you guys can do. Some have said that it's like a kaleidoscope. You look into it, and at first it seems like a shape, and then you twist it, and it begins to morph into other shapes. Uh, but nonetheless, we'll, we'll get into it, so you'll see it. Uh, in the Psalms, we have a lot of things like poetry, which for us sounds kind of romantic. For Hebrew, it was incredibly important, and the, probably the, the most common 
uh, tool of poetry that we have in the Psalms are things like what we call parallelism, right? So in modern rap today, we like to make sure that every single line will rhyme, right? Mm -hmm. In the Hebrew mind, they didn't care too much about rhyming at the end, but what they did care about was like re repeating things that were really important. So for instance, <coughs> Psalm 18:2, the Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock, in whom I take refuge. It, that was their way of, of producing a very strong emphasis on whatever it is they were communicating. And we see this with the angels too in heaven, holy, 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 not just two, but three, meaning an extreme emphasis, uh, which shows the, the, that parallelism uh, being exercised. So generally speaking, the psalm is supposed to be sung, and because of the way it's set up in its acrostic form, it's actually easiest to memorize it that way, orally, because of, the, because of its use of the same uh, letters as you move through each stanza. So unfortunately, in the English, it gets lost. So I'm actually going to do some, some Hebrew right now. And uh, I'm not going to sing it. Uh, I, I'm not going to really mess with it. Sing it. Yeah, that, that would be really bad. <laughs> You guys probably would not invite me back. Um, so let's let's go to verse uh, 65. So if you guys open to Psalm 119, verse 65, I don't want to discourage you because, hey, our English translations are really, really good. But then there's just stuff like this, like in the original, that you just can't get in the English that I think is like really, really powerful. And you, you kind of can, can see the artistic value and beauty of it, right? So Psalm 119, verse 65. You notice here the headers. This one starts with what's called a take. And if you keep on going, you'll see the rest of the alphabet. Here we have something like, you have dealt well with your servant, O Lord, according to your word. Teach me good judgment and knowledge, for I believe in your commandments before I was afflicted, etc. Not, you, you can't really tell that this starts with any kind of tuck sound. But, in the Hebrew and in the order that you see it, uh, you can tell that. So I want you guys to sort of read along, but first I want to give you the keyword. <laughs> What's a Hebrew word that's very, very common that starts with t? Torah. 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 That's very good. That's close. Mm -hmm. I mean, it starts, it starts with the right letter, so pretty close. Uh, it's very common. I mean, we, we have it in like modern pop songs. It's just silly, but. It's a Jewish word. Okay. When I say mazel, tav. Right? Tavlo. Tavlo. Yeah, exactly. So tav means good. There we go. So. You'll see five out of the eight verses here use the word tov, okay? So read along with me. I'm actually gonna, I'm, I paraphrased it. I changed the order so it would be more like the Hebrew. I'll say the, the tov or whatever else, other word is there and then I'll read the rest of it in English and then we'll just keep going from there, okay? So starting in verse 65. Tov, well have you dealt with your servant, O Lord, according to your word. Verse 66. Tov. 
Good judgment and knowledge you must teach me, for I believe in your commandments. 67. Terem. Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. 68. Tov. Good you are and good you do. Teach me your statutes. Toplu. The insolent smear with me with lies, but with my whole heart I keep your precepts. Tapash. Unfeeling like fat is their heart, but I delight in your law. Tov, it is that I was afflicted, it good it is that I was afflicted, that I might learn your statutes. Tov, better to me than thousands of gold, uh, better to me, what does it say, is your word, than thousands of gold and silver pieces. Yeah. Yeah, gold and silver pieces. And so you can see that. Tov, Tov, Teren, Tov, Toplu, Tapash, Tov, Tov. And you can hear the, the T in all of that, right? And what's interesting about this is that structure forced the psalmist to use Tov many, many times. And so what specific theme do you guys think that the psalmist is expressing in this specific stanza? God's goodness. God's goodness, right? His goodness, the goodness of his word, um, the goodness of the fruit that comes from his word. And you, so you can just, you can see that. And there's, there's many other things uh, that the psalmist is forced to use these different types of Hebrew, where it actually informs and actually helps you understand the meaning and appreciate, I think, the beauty of it. So The next thing we should talk about, because it's so central to this psalm, is the centrality of the word, right? So as you're reading through the psalm, you're going to see uh, many different words for essentially what we're going to call God's word, right? You're going to see law, you're going to see word, laws, statutes, commands, decrees, precepts, and promise. And all of these are eight, essentially eight synonyms for the same thing. In the Jewish, in the Hebrew mind, they're going to be thinking of the, the Pentateuch, so the first five books of the Old Testament, the prophets, the Psalms, the wisdom literature. Essentially, all of the Old Testament is what they're going to be thinking. For us, as a New Testament church, I think it's valuable to recognize that since they are talking about God's revelation in the general sense, that we could say a lot of these same things that we see in the Psalm about our New Testament scriptures as well, right? So when it says that scripture revives our soul, then we would say that even New Testament scriptures would have that same effect on us because it is God's word, right? Um, what I like about the, the pillar and the house analogy is that you can see the development and really this psalm is like the biggest pillar of, of the three. Like these psalms are like the biggest. In the first psalm, Psalm 1, you see the psalmist talking about what happens to a man who delights in the law. He prospers, he's like a tree planted by streams of water. In Psalm 19, you see God saying, look at all of my creation, look at the beauty of the sky, and look at, look at everything that I've created. That, that speaks of me, right? And then you see, but also I've given you my spoken revelation, and this is special. This is, this, is, uh, this is what's reviving you. This is sweeter than honey from the honeycomb. This is more fine than much fine gold. And then in Psalm 119, you have 100 plus verses 
that just go through and really explode the imagination of what the word means to us. Mm-hmm. And it's like a diamond. And what do you do to a diamond? You, you shine a light on it so that you can see its brilliance. And you see all of the different ways that it's cut. And it's like shining the light to the diamond and slowly turning it and watching as all the different facets of its brilliance pass. And you see all these different intricacies in the diamond. This song is like that for the Word of God. So, let's, let's just sum it up. I know there was a, there was a lot of lists there, uh, and there was a lot of information, but if we were to sum it up, just to set up Jared for the next few weeks, uh, Psalm 119 embodies the spirit of seeking out the salvation of God as expressed in a deep love for God's multifaceted word in the midst of a very dark and difficult struggle in a hostile world. The psalmist finds comfort in the blessedness and the clarity that only comes from a life that is measured up against and aligned with the ways of God. And you can see, and, and we'll see that develop throughout. So all of this talk, you know, we've got an acrostic psalm, we've got so many synonyms, eight synonyms for the Word of God. And it kind of just leaves us thinking uh, the question, uh, how and why does the psalmist love the Word of God so much? And, and I'm not trying to I mean, if we're all honest, I mean, uh, hopefully, we come home to our spouses and we're just, like, raving about seeing them. Like, I, I just can't wait when I can walk through the door and go home to see my spouse. You know, or maybe for some of you who are pet lovers, I can't wait to see little Fido, or whatever. <laughs> whatever his name is. Whatever his cute, perfect name is. Uh, <laughs> you know, like like there is there is something inside of us. There is like a like a deep stirring affection inside of us that wants to to see this thing and and be able to express our love to it, uh, or him or her. And yet, you, you see this kind of language, you see this kind of earnestness in this song, and it just kind of brings up the question: How does the psalmist love? God's worth this much, and why? Um, that is the cliffhanger, and that I'm going to leave for Jared to answer the next three weeks. Uh, so let me let me just pray for us, and then we'll finish our time here. I'm going to read the first couple verses of Psalm 119, and then I'm going to pray. Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart. God, thank you that you've given us the time tonight to seek your word. God, we pray that you will bless us because of our seeking the things in your law. Help us, Lord, not only to learn these things with our minds, but help us to apply these things with our hands, to be greatly and deeply affected in our hearts, that we would, uh, by the end of this series, Lord, not only have been obedient to listen, to understand, to apply your word, 
But God, that we would have a deeply founded love for your word, that, that it would show itself to be our food, just as Christ prayed, my will is to do, or my food is to do the will of my Father in heaven. God, how else are we going to be nurtured? How else will we be fed if not through your word? So I pray, God, that you would bless our efforts in the time that we, that we spend the next four weeks, three weeks, and that you would, God, give us the spiritual nurturance that we need to both read and to pray through your word. We thank you so much for, for it. We thank you so much, especially for Jesus Christ as well. Uh, bless uh, the rest of our weeks in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.